0: Hello and welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Injocasso. If this is your first time listening, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, if you've been listening to the Tome Show and paying nothing for it, go give us a great rating. In fact, I read one new five-star rating verbatim each week on the air and credit the listener who left it. Today's review comes from Narfenstein. Narfenstein, or perhaps it's Knarfenstein, is leaving us a review entitled Excellent. Narfenstein says, experienced podcasting produced by a dedicated crew. If you're looking to keep up to date with D&D products, accessories, and a lot of inspirational content, then you are listening to the right team. Thank you to the entire Tome Show staff, and keep up the great work. You all rock! Well, you rock too, Narfenstein. Thank you so much for this five-star review. People, we are running out, and I need you to put words in my mouth to say. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean. This is a family D&D news podcast. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the banners in the show notes for any episode for Amazon or the DMs Guild, and then shop as you normally would. Throws a few coppers our way. We'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, OpenGamingStore.com. My product pick from OpenGamingStore.com is actually a cute one. It is the Wizard in Training onesie. Uh, It's got this adorable picture. That's right, they got onesies there in addition to awesome gaming products. They've offered an exclusive coupon code to Tome Show listeners. Enter the code TOME2016 and you will get 10% off Your order. Now here to tell us all about OpenGamingStore.com is the Anti-Paladin. Hello, I am the Anti-Paladin, and while I am Anti-Paladins, I am pro-OpenGamingStore.com. They're an amazing site where they're giving Tome listeners 10% off with the coupon code TOME2016. Yes, you can get tons of amazing gaming products there. And they have awesome bundles and deals every single week. So check them out, OpenGamingStore.com. Let's go kill some good paladins. All right, everybody, today on the show, I've got a special treat. Wolfgang Bauer is here, and he is going to talk to us about some demon cults. It's a Kickstarter that is happening right now, and we've also got two awesome game designers coming with him. That's right, Jim Groves and Jeff Lee. Get ready. Let's roll the interview right now. All right, everybody. Now I am here with some amazing game designers. I have Wolfgang Bauer, Jeff Lee and Jim Groves here. Guys, welcome to the roundtable. It is a pleasure to have you Um, Wolfgang. You are no uh, no stranger to our audience. Certainly you've been on many times before. Um, But for those who it might be their first time listening, why don't you tell them who you are and sort of what you're about?
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a long-time RPG designer, and in the last 10 years, I've been the publisher at Cobalt Press. Um, got my start at TSR, worked at Wizards of the Coast. Um, D&D and Pathfinder are pretty much my beat. So That's, that's awesome. Me.
0: Yeah, yeah. An amazing, amazing person. Everybody should go back and listen to all of the other times we've had Wolfgang on, because it's always a great time and a great podcast. So thank you for coming back. Uh, Jim Groves, welcome to the Roundtable. Jim, why don't you tell the people out there who you are in the world of tabletop role-playing games?
2: Well, I, uh, I, I like to consider myself a former apprentice of Wolfgang's, but I'm a, primarily a uh, Pathfinder um, author and, uh, and developer. I'm very prolific with uh, Paizo products. I've written I've lost count, but I think at least seven Adventure Path chapters. I've written for every product line they have. And I've also worked for Legendary Games. I kicked off their uh, Legendary Planet uh, Adventure <laughs> Path, and I've worked with uh, Wolfgang numerous times with, uh, with Cobalt Press. Yeah, And I've been going about...
0: I've been going since about 2007. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, people should definitely check out that uh, Legendary Planet line from uh, Legendary Games because that is a super fun adventure path um, available in both Pathfinder and 5th Edition. Uh, So people have their option, can play it in whatever system they like. Uh, And then finally, Jeff Lee is also with us. Jeff, welcome to the roundtable. Why don't you let the people out there know what you're about? Uh, Sure, James.
3: Well... I have been uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons in one version or another since 1980. Uh, I just got into freelancing about four years ago and uh, managed to get my fingers in a lot of pies. Um, I've done a lot of work for Kobold Press, uh, Legendary Games. Um, I have products for Rogue Genius Games, Frog God. Um, So a lot of of third-party stuff out there.
0: Excellent, excellent, and it is great to have you here, all uh, legends in the field, I would say, so uh, very exciting for me uh, to be able to talk with you all, and today we're talking about one of my favorite things, we're talking about demon cults, Um, so uh, Cobalt Press, uh, right now there is a Kickstarter that is already funded over 300%, so congratulations on that. Um, nice. for uh, for demon cults people can pledge to get PDFs and hard copies and leather bound copies and all sorts of great stuff oh we'll... not
1: just leather bound cobra snake skin bound
0: ooh I like yeah.
1: that yeah nice. python if you
0: prefer it's <laughs> very culty if you will yes um, let's talk a little bit about <laughs> this uh, why demon cults I feel like you know there's a lot of information out there about demon cults Already, you know, we, we've got cults of this and cults of that. Uh, I am certainly bearing the lead a little bit here because I already pledged to this Kickstarter. I am super excited about it, and I encourage our listeners to go to the show notes uh, over at thetomeshow.com for this episode and click on the link to the Kickstarter so they can follow along with us. But uh, tell me, why Demon Cults? Why did you think that this was a product that, uh, that needed to be out there?
1: The short answer is blame the Southlands. <laughs> because as part, part of the Southlands uh, setting Kickstarter, uh, we wanted to do some cults because that seemed like a good thing, like a scorpion cult or uh, a mystic hermetic cult. And Jeff had won, you know, our design contest for Deep Magic and written a bunch of great stuff, spells for for Deep Magic, and had already done a bunch of things. I said, Jeff, what do you think about cults? Are they are they something you might be interested in writing? And, it, and it I said, yes, out. Wolfgang. Yeah. <laughs> Being a clever fle- freelancer, you said, yes. And I can't remember if I pitched you some of the early concepts or you pitched them to me.
3: Um, You, you pitched a couple to me and asked me if I had any other ideas. And yeah. so I pitched a few your way.
1: Right. I was like, eh. oh, that's right. I probably said, like, here's the Emerald Order. And oh, by the way, can you do a Scorpion Cult? Yes. And then you said, yeah, but what about a white ape cult? Or what about the oh, the demon lord of thieves? Right. That's the one you really knocked out of the park in the first yeah. series, I think. Yeah, so that's sort of where it came from. The, the deeper explanation is um, solo monsters are easy to kill of any stripe, but cults are really hard to get rid of. That's like the larger design reason why we see cults in lots of products. And secret societies. Because the dragon, no matter how tough it is, is going to go down if, if you expend enough effort. But if the dragon has a whole cult built around it, eh, yeah, okay, you'll take out the guy at the top and some other dragon will become chief honcho, right? Um, so they're harder to wipe out and they make a more resilient foe for a long-term campaign. And I think that's really where the value of this Kickstarter is. It's like, well, you pick any one of these... And have them be a
0: recurring villain. So what What exactly do people get, right? We know it's a book about demon cults, but like, what does that mean? Do we get an example cult? Do we learn how to build yes. our own? Are there new options? And we should mention, right, it's for both 5th edition D&D and for Pathfinder, which is amazing.
1: Yeah, and we're talking to the Pathfinder team here, but um, yeah, it's for both. I don't know, Jeff. Jim, do you? What are your favorite highlights of like the practical, crunchy bits in it?
2: Jeff, why don't you go first? And if there's anything you miss, I'll clean up.
3: Sure. Okay. Well, um, the uh, each cult starts with the basic concept. You know, where does this cult come from? What are its origins? Uh, what are they after? What are their goals? Provides a, a background picture to you know allow the GM to say, oh, you know, I could set this here in this city or what have you. And we have some, some concepts for how to set it in say the Midgard campaign setting from Cobalt Press, but also uh, we tried to leave it open to people who you know, do their own homebrew worlds or want to fit into another campaign setting. Then we go into the leaders, you know, who's in charge. Um, so you get NPC stat blocks for the main movers and shakers in the cult. With this Kickstarter, we also added minions. You know, who are the little guys? You know, who are the guys that are going to be throwing themselves on the swords of the heroes in, in, in fanatical defense of their cult and their beliefs? And so you have that uh, along with some adventure ideas, seeds. You know, how do I get this cult into my campaign? You know, what are some ideas of how, how I can throw these, these guys at my heroes? What are um, their maniacal plots to take exactly. over the world? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then a, a you know a few little extras here and there, depending on the cult. Some have new monsters. Uh, some have new spells, magic items, uh, ritual magic, etc. Um, you know to try and provide a, a complete package for the GM for for the you know each particular cult that we have in the book. Uh, Jim, and,
2: and if I could add a, a few two cents, I, I've looked at these sort of products over many years because, like like Jeff, I've been playing since about 1979, 1980, so this is not the first time I've seen a package of uh, demon cults, and usually there's a strong emphasis on the quote-unquote <laughs> demon lord, and you find all this information about what they look like, and who do they like, and who they don't like, and what they had for breakfast, whereas this product really kind of focuses in, on the cult, because that's what you're practically going to play with. I, I mean, yes, you can fight a demon lord, I suppose, but you know, most groups are are gonna want that campaign feeling. So we break it down, we look at the cult uh, at, at every facet of play, from first level all the way up to your, your highest levels. And you get a sense of the infrastructure and what they're doing. And to me, that pragmatically gives you something to actually play with and interact with. And when Jeff says, you know, we have minions, and, and bosses, I mean, we have like your third-level boss who challenges first-level characters. We have a, a mid-level boss. We have a high-level boss. And, and, and consequently, we have powerful minions and we have weak minions. So that when you buy this product, you're going to be able to use it for every stage of your campaign. And th- those plot hooks, really, you could the adventure seeds we give you you can really just with minimal effort kind of structure your entire campaign an entire campaign or at least a good facet of it based yeah. upon opposing this cult so i think you get a lot of mileage out of this you know a little less emphasis on like everybody likes it you're about a, a demon lord they're they're interesting but you know what they're not the most important thing a gm needs
0: to yeah. focus on a cult and play with The thing I love about products like this is that it's open-ended enough that I can tell my own story. You know, a lot of adventures, it's like, well, if the players go off the path, it's up to you as the DM to try to figure out, you know, how to get them back, right, in a published adventure. Um, But this gives you the tools... To build an adventure, um, but it's sort of, you know, it's, it's almost an adventure in itself in that, like you said, it has that very loose structure for a whole campaign. It's like, okay, well, I want them to encounter this guy, maybe around this level, and... I'll start thinking about how I can get them there and how I can weave this in. And, oh, here's some good plots that they can be, uh, you know, working on that maybe the players stumble upon. And if you take this product and you combine it with something like a a prepared from Cobalt Press or a book of layers, or maybe uh, like Sly Flourish's Fantastic Locations, which is a bunch of locations that, you know, have suggestions for what could be populated and stuff, but aren't exactly like you've got a full campaign and all you need to do is have the fun part of connecting the dots as a DM. Is this one of those products that's like, hey, here's, here's a cool thing. Now it's up to you to sort of figure out the specifics of the story.
2: That's exactly the case. And, and, and I think that we give you enough outline and structure. We do a lot of the heavy lifting so that you can insert, the GM can insert their own creativity and, and, and kind of create their own story. But yet they're not going to be flummoxed or stumped for ideas.
1: Yeah. I mean, anyone can say, hey, I really want a scorpion cult in my campaign. Or, you know, I want a, a debauched secret society um, that's very urbane and has dark magic. Well, okay, that's a fine concept. But fleshing it out and giving it particular leaders and particular magic and particular traditions and schemes um, is a fair bit of work, um, so that's what we've got here, right? Is is it's like a full toy chest for any any GM to play with, um, but exactly how you bring those toys into your campaign uh, is totally up to you, right? Um, you can you can leave aside the monster or the spell or the mid-level minions if you're already past that and still have a blast. Meant to be flexible.
0: One of the things that's great about it is you can use it a ton, right? Um, So you could use it to map out a whole campaign and and play your whole campaign from it. Or you could use it for, uh, you know, I really want to bring in an interesting sort of third party into this. I've got my main villain. I've got my, but, you know, this adventure wouldn't be great if there was some extra layer of complication. Oh, look, I've got a pre-made cult. I don't need to think about their... Motivations. I don't need to think about what the structure within the cult is like or, or what sort of robes they wear or that kind of thing. All that work's done for me. Boom, I can insert them. They're here. They're causing trouble. They're making life complicated and they're making the story more interesting. You know, you've got all these different layers. You can, oh, the players go off the path. Well, there's a temple over here of... You know, a serpent cult and uh, and you're good to go, which is uh, really, really great. I, I love that. So uh, you guys are working on this. What are some of uh, you know Wolfgang was talking about your your favorite parts. What are some of your favorite cults? Let's get into <laughs> it. let's Let's tell people about the cults inside.
1: Sure. Well, one was the one of the early ones that I proposed to Jeff was said, um, hey, there's this emerald order that's been kicking around in Midgard sort of unofficially and not in any written products, and would you like to flesh it out? Um, And I said, well, it's sort of a hermetic order of mages, kind of like uh, there are some in real world history, right? Who said, here's the Emerald Tablet of Hermes. It's a source of power. Great. How does that turn into a cult? Well, I said, Jeff, I just want them to be super magical um, and schemers, right? More than, than killers. Um, and that's, that's what we got back. The, the Emerald Order of, of Thoth Hermes is uh, way big on the magic. They have a particular kind of golem that is just nasty as all get out. Um, they're all about being the rightful heirs of the Emerald Tablets. Uh, and people who disagree with them in their mind are just wrong, right? They're wrong about everything. So they're um, they're sort of the classic we know more than you do and everyone should listen to us kind of cult rather than a frothing at the mouth bunch of anti-paladins or or a religiously motivated cult, right? They're only partly into the whole worship thing. Um, They're more into secret knowledge. So uh, that's a classic one that I've been using in my Midgard campaign for some time, but it was nice to really put extra legs behind it and get... Um, extra tools to play with, like that golem I mentioned. That's maybe my favorite. Although there's a second one that Jeff surprised me with later. I'm like, why did I never think of that? But I'm going to let these guys get their shot too. That that was mine. Well, which one were you thinking of? I, I oh, the one you surprised about. me with. Yes, uh, that was the Creed of All Flesh, where I said, why why did I not already have this? And <laughs> this is- because it's a ghoulish and undead cult and I'm like I'm all about that and I didn't think of putting it in that context of well let's you know let's not just give them a demon lord to worship let's give them a whole little structure um, that reaches out to others to recruit uh, and it's yeah it's fantastic but I uh, I don't want to hog the hog the mic because Jeff wrote it and Jim developed it and it's all good new material
3: well, uh, Jim, would you like to take the, the Creed of all flesh and uh, I, I, I would actually like to talk about the hand of thereche <laughs> <is laughs>
2: oh my goodness, uh, you actually flipped on me because I 'm sitting here crossing my fingers i 'm like, I hope you go to the Creed of all flesh did, did you want to talk
3: about did you want to uh, talk about the hand no,
2: no you're the author it's your baby. Uh, okay. I might talk about another one besides the Creed of all flesh, but um, I don't know. You, you go with the hand of Nekresh, and I'll talk okay. about
3: one. Well, um, the hand of Nekresh was one of my personal favorites uh, because Nekresh um, is 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 one of the Nurian gods uh, for the Southlands, and uh, he's described as this, this this demon ape god with with eight hands, and he's all about grabbing and taking whatever he can. And so I I decided that that. You know, this would be the lowest, the lowest left hand of Nakresh. Okay, these are all thieves. Their their thing is to glorify their their god. They will take as much as they can from anyone they can, and it it's become a contest among the leadership. You know, the 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 one who becomes the the head of the cult is one of uh, five exalted. You know, each 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 one a finger of of the lowest left hand, and they have their contest to see who can pull off the biggest heist, the most extravagant uh, robbery. And uh, p- part of my my inspiration is I decided that th- this this would be the the Pathfinder version of the Legion of Doom. You know, I mean, e- each one... A, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> e- each one, you know, an over-the-top, larger-than-life than uh, figure, you know, with, of course, the, the, the typical, you know... Hordes of minions that do their bidding. Uh, I also decided I didn't want I, I, I want you know I'd been doing a lot of humans for the other cults. Um, I decided the leaders here were not going to be human. So you have a uh, a roachling, um, <laughs> a, uh, a, so kobold, uh, a a kobold, a tengu. Uh, there's a a knoll who's more of your your you know in your face rough bandit type. Uh, oh, and 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 a Darrow, um, because you know you always have to have a little crazy when you're talking about cults.
0: Of course, of course, yeah, gotta get a little crazy. Yeah. Love the Darrow edition, and of course a Cobalt, right? I mean, that's pretty right. on brand. Uh, yeah, it
1: pretty much is. And you know, <laughs> sneaky, skulky, like to take things. Yeah,
3: yes, yeah. And and he's an alchemist, so he can blow things up really well. Nice.
1: <laughs> yeah, their plots and schemes are terrific. I think. I mean, that was just a very successful write-up because. I don't know. How often do you see a a sort of thieves guild crossed with demon worship crossed with the Legion of Doom? It just—it's a really great piece. Nice. And Jim.
2: Well, one of the one of the little gems that I like is actually called the Weavers of Truth, and they are. I I, I even I'm kind of browsing through their uh, their write up right now to remind myself. Uh, of, of some of the details, of why I, I like them, I'm just looking at Jeff's introduction to them. It starts with a quote: "A lie told often enough becomes truth." Commonly attributed to uh, Joseph Goebbels or Vladimir Lenin, ironically, neither actually said this. It, it, again, it's a kind of a more of a criminal organization that has been blended with a religion um, started by a, a female mastermind who is basically a uh, a brilliant con artist who is caught and then exposed but then moves to a a different community and starts over and and with finding this founding this cult and uh and and drawing these people together and and basically the uh they're they're all interested in in power and and wealth and this particular cult some of some of our cults are very violent and uh this is more of a deceptive cult and uh, the, the, they even have this, this ritual that they're working towards called the uh, Incantation of Lies Made Truth, which is a, a powerful ninth level incantation that, they're, that takes an incredible amount of resources to pull off. But basically what it does is it takes an organization or kingdom and it rewrites history in the minds of everybody affected by it. So and it can only be cast during a solar eclipse. So their end end goal is actually to basically take a kingdom or a, a like a city state and completely brainwash everybody in it. So that they're actually I I believe the, the ones in power. And uh, and if it's successful, uh, you, you make a saving throw for the city, but individual PCs make their own individual uh, savings throws to not be affected by it. But basically Everybody in the city has a different perception of history, and knowledge, and of who's in power, and and basically that kind of captured the romance, to me, of some of the the, the fairy tales like uh, Sleeping Beauty, or or something where the the witch casts a spell and the entire kingdom falls under the sway of it.
1: I love that as a campaign starter, right? That's like the moment I want to start a campaign with, when the parties whatever cleaned out the sewers, killed a few rats and goblins. They walk back up to, um, to the tavern, get a good night's rest, wake up after the solar eclipse and say, wait a minute, we don't remember these people in charge, and why is, this, why is everyone acting so different? Right? Yes,
2: and, and you, go to, <laughs> you go to the local tavern and you're like, well, don't you remember Good King Henry who was the, the, the king of the city? And they're like, I don't know any Henry. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) Right? (laughs) That would be a brilliant campaign starter.
1: Right. It's like starting through the Looking Glass and trying to unravel it backwards is just. I mean, it's a cult campaign, but it's also a you've flipping um, flipping all the expectations kind of kind of campaign because the bad guys have already won at the start. So, yeah,
2: that's one of the things that I I love about um, our cults in this book is that they're diverse and you know like uh, another you know comparative demon product from uh, another publisher they're they're very abyssal here we've got kind of a range that there's a demonic theme going through it but but we have a range of kind of ideals and approaches we've just mentioned two that are kind of based upon crime but certainly, we've got some bloodthirsty, violent ones, too. Oh, the um, Doom Speakers are
1: <laughs> sort of my favorite for that, right? Because they're yeah. anti-paladins, and they
3: really don't care. <laughs> just, right. Yeah, <laughs> when when, when, we've got when you have a leader thing. named Narn the Crucifier, it kind of <laughs> sets the tone.
1: Yeah, it really does. And sometimes that's what I want, right? It's like, I want Narn the Crucifier and his henchmen and a horde of orcs, and their big plan is, you know loot the town. Burn, no, burn it down, then loot it. They'll figure it out, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they definitely, definitely will. And I, I mean... I, that's what's so great about this book, right, is the cults, like you said, are so diverse, uh, they're so different, that you really could play through one campaign, right, maybe have one cult, and then your next campaign, bring in a different cult that has totally different motivations and operates completely differently.
2: You could actually have two, just interweave two different kind of plot lines, you know, to, to, to give it, you know, so that not every single adventure is based upon you know, fighting the evil cult, you could easily have two of these cults that are significantly different and have different feeling
0: adventures and weave them together. Oh, sure. You could get involved in uh, in cult politics, uh, which, <laughs> which could be very intriguing. And fun. Have
1: an election. No. no, no. <laughs> I, I mean, you can also just drop in, here's the cult hideout for the Emerald Order in the city of Zobek, and there's you know, a fellow and his, his rat like warlock underlings and a few others, um, and it's an encounter or a one off, and it just has a little more flavor or a particular theme. Um, we've been talking about campaigns because schemes and plots and earth shaking events are, are often where the cults want to go. Mm-hmm. But I think it's probably just as viable to say, hey, there's a few minions here, you guys broke it up. Right, There was a doom speaker and his, his orcish friend's banditry on the roads. He took care of it. Um, and it seems like, yeah, that's, if the players really dug it, they're like, that anti-paladin was so awful, and we kicked his butt. Phew, what a relief, right? Um, great fight, good time. And then maybe four or five levels later, it's, oh, by the way, that anti-paladin. <laughs> yeah, he's undead now. And, you know, he's back. So it need not be a a sort of continuous story. It it can have breaks in it. It can just be occasionally this Doom Speaker shows up, you know, missing a few more parts, being a little more completely chaotic evil, um, and and causes havoc for a, a brief period, but the players know him as a regular recurring character, even if he's not really driving the plot. He's just showing up to smash something.
0: Which is, uh, and that's one of the great things, like, uh, you know, my friends and I, we talk about our DM go bags sometime. Yeah. But, you know, what's what do you grab when it's like, hey, we're, we're going to play a game, but it's impromptu and you weren't ready or you didn't have time. And it's, this is one of those books that you can throw in there, right? Because uh, a cult could pop up anywhere at any time, right? There are these weird uh, secret societies that have these agendas, so... You know, you're just stopped in town for the night and boom, cult activity uh, and suddenly adventure happens. You know, um, that's what's so great about this is it really can be full campaign or it really can be, you know, little smidgen here, there and then, you know what, I like this cult so much the couple of times it made it into our campaign. Uh, Next time we play, it's going to be a full-blown levels one through 20 adventure, you know, involving this, which is amazing. Uh, Are there opportunities? Are there options? For, uh, for cult-minded PCs?
1: <laughs> Man, we got this question before on the Kickstarter and I'm such a goody tooth shoes in my playstyle. I'm like, heroes are heroes. No evil campaigns. Um, mm-hmm. That I didn't think of, of anybody really wanting to join one of these completely madhouse cults. Who wants to play an anti-paladin? To me, that's not appealing. But at least one cult has some options for that. I know Selket does, right, Jeff?
3: Yes, yes. Um, one of the things that I, I decided to put in, because with with the way the, the cult of Selket is is written, they're very um they're, they're a very vengeful cult uh, because Selket was once a very powerful uh, deity in the Southlands, and her religion has gone by the wayside. Her temples lie in ruins out in the sands. Um, they've gone underground. Uh, there are other gods that have taken up the the, the prime positions of power in in the in, in the various uh, city states in the area. And so one of the things I looked at is like, well, you know, what what if, what if you want to play for the other team? So I, I I wrote in some some ideas on on how it could be more of a campaign where, you know, you are the faithful of Selket and feel that she needs to be elevated to her, her original position, her original uh, state of glory uh, within, within the realms. And so it, it's more of you, you know, fighting against the establishment um, as, a, as a campaign option. And whether or not you want to be evil, uh, you know, that would be a, a, a GM's choice ultimately. I mean, but you could very well run non-evil people uh, worshiping this, this, this deity, if, if you wanted to, to flavor the campaign that way. Or if you just wanted to have a, a good anti-hero, um, style, uh, group, you could run it that way as well.
0: You don't have the same reservations that Wolfgang has, I take it, about, uh,
3: um, the occasional evil group. (laughs) No, if, as far as I'm concerned, if it's done right, uh, it, it it can be, it, it can be a cathartic, uh, you know, sort of experience, um, I, I have, have run uh, a, a portion of uh, you know, an, an evil campaign before, and it's worked out well. Um, the, the main thing to me is as long as the, the, the group continues to cooperate and things don't devolve into, you know well, I finally want to get rid of this guy, and then you end up with a PvP session, which is ultimately not really fun for anybody, no, at least no. in my experience. Agreed.
0: <laughs> uh, definitely agreed. Well, this is uh, this is sounding awesome. Uh, so obviously we've got the the brilliant minds of uh, of Jim and uh, Jeff working on this thing. Uh, who else is involved? Um, there's some killer looking art on this Kickstarter. Uh, who is going to be drawing up our uh, our amazing cultists here?
1: Uh, we've got a variety of artists as we always do. Um, I think some of the original art that is already, like, completed um, has been... Oh, man, and I'm always going to have trouble pronouncing his name. It's a Thai artist. Subroto, I believe, is his name. Uh, And he's got a really... uh, Subroto Paumik. Uh, He's not Thai, he's Indian. Um, He's got a really great sense of, like, pulp style. I I think his art... It all looks like it could be on the cover of a um, paperback from the fifties or sixties. Um, which I think is why the art director chose him Is like these, these all look, um, you know, like the characters in them will choose scenery a little bit. And the typeface on it is like dripping blood or, or something along those lines. Um, they're underlit. Uh, they all belong on movie posters. Uh, so he's done a lot of the sort of bigger art pieces. Um, we also have a couple other folks working for us. Uh, Russell Jones does great work, and he's, I think, illustrating. Uh, he did a bunch of the monsters, and he's got at least one of the uh, stretch goal art pieces come in. Um, and, and, of course, Cobalt uh, regular Brian Syme, who did... Who's done work on? Oh my god, everything! Right, like Tome of Beasts, um, Midgard Adventures of various stripes. I- I'm really pleased with the art we've got because it has to be in a different style than than the typical high fantasy heroic. It's more down in the gutter, more pulpy, um, and and a lot of fun. One of the first stretch goals we hit actually was, hey, we want some more art for this book. Um, because in the layout we've done so far, it was like, yeah, we're a little short. It'd be nice to have a few more pieces, but we don't have the budget. Um, so Kickstarter makes that possible. It was one of the first things we we asked backers about was, would you you know, help us hit this stretch goal? So that's all going well.
0: You, know, you brought up stretch goals, Wolfgang, uh, and I'd love to, since you've already hit a couple and since you are going sure. to uh, continue to smash through more – Uh, Let's talk about them and let's talk about what listeners can get if they contribute at this point and help reach those stretch goals.
1: Yeah, for stretch goals we have uh, already hit additional art. We've already hit one that expands uh, anti-paladin options with a whole bunch of additional crunchy goodness for anti-paladins. Who I think there's a long-standing design argument between me and and people who think villains should play by the same rules as heroes... Um, my argument is if you're an anti paladin you're willing to do horrible horrible things and cast horrible horrible spells that normal heroes don't really get access to um, and that's part of what we what we uh, what we put together in that stretch goal is just like here's some really horrible things um, <laughs> it's some types of corruption disease sacrifice uh, the spells are called dooms because that's why they're called doom speakers um, so the new spells are like the Doom of Blades or the Doom of Fire or the Doom of what have you. And in a bunch of cases, some of those from Deep Magic, for instance, like the Doom of Fire for Doom Speakers is just, well, the anti-paladin's willing to set himself on fire magically because his target is also set on fire magically. And, you know, for an anti-paladin who's chaotic evil, being on fire in the middle of combat is is sort of a plus, right? <laughs> um, But for the target of his spell, say some mealy-mouthed cleric in the back ranks, right? It's like, he wasn't planning on being on fire, so that spell seems unfair to him. Um, It's stuff like that, right? It's highly flavorful and nasty. And we're working on a stretch goal for just some uh, additional uh, cults. Uh, Jeff is writing at least one of them uh, called The Blood Sisters. I don't know. Should we talk about the Blood Sisters? We could.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the Blood Sisters. I want to hear They're not about quite
3: this. funded yet, but we're getting yeah. really close. And, <laughs> yes, and, and the, the Blood Sisters um, are, are set in, uh, well, the, the, the cult will be discussed in, in, in two different settings. The first is in the principalities of Morgao and Daresh, uh which are actually ruled by vampires. Uh, the peasants there are basically livestock um so in 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 there the Blood Sisters rule supreme. Outside of those two, they're more of an underground cult, but they do have an edge because some of their members are vampires. So that that tends to uh give them a, a little little edge on on power when it comes to to dominating people both physically and mentally.
1: It's so easy to recruit when you can just say, you, you're joining my cult. Exactly. <laughs>
0: yeah it's a it's modern or i guess not modern it's magic conscription right Uh.
1: yeah i think it's a press gang kind of vampire cult i mean that's sort of the impression i'm getting um and i think that's really cool because most of the time you know cultists are sitting around trying to convince somebody to join them in the sewers and work on their glorious plan or Head out to the woods and learn swordplay and become an anti-paladin. And that's all a lot of work, right? Recruiting people, talking them into that. (laughs) And I I think the Blood Sisters kind of short-circuit the whole thing by either saying, we're in charge here in the vampire kingdom, you will obey, or hey, I'm a vampire and you're charmed. Come along to our meeting.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, and real quick, why don't we also talk about, right, that most of the rewards here are uh, various levels for getting the book. Um, yes. I have to say it is uh, like one of the, Best deals I think I've ever seen on a Kickstarter with these uh, these pledge prices. They um, are
1: somewhat underpriced. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really, really good prices. So um people should check it out for what they can get for uh you know obviously print pdf print and pdf if you want both um plus you know all of these stretch goals and stuff that are that are happening that you're smashing through are making it a better deal day by day um but let's talk a little bit about some of the higher uh rewards, sort of the the signed editions with some awesome art, and like you said, the python and cobra leather bound
1: sure well um the art portfolio level includes um, the Eleven Knives cult, which is evil gnomes in service to hell, basically. Yeah, they're not in the main book. They're a separate PDF, uh, just to make sure the players really, really don't get their hands on it. Uh, and they're fairly Midgard-specific. The evil gnomes are a Midgard thing. So that's part of the art portfolio thing, which includes a signed book plate for the print edition. Uh, it includes an art portfolio, a lot of um, art prints that are done on uh, acid-free paper with archival ink. So it's like, okay, this, this print is gonna, it's not going to fade, and it's not going to uh, crumble away. So that's a nice sort of leveled-up pledge. And then beyond that, yeah, the Python Skin Hand-Bound Edition. You know, we've been doing special book bindings for a while, Uh, at Cobalt Press, and generally it's like, okay, we're going to do some nice leather with gold foil stamps and some tooling, and just a really beautifully traditionally bound book. Um, And the bookbinder I work with, he also does a lot of like rebinding Bibles and favorite books that are like family heirlooms, and then he's got like a sideline in esoteric and mystical books where <laughs> they already look kind of D&D-ish pathfindery, right? They're, uh, they've got a worm or a boris on it or alchemical symbols or whatnot. And one day I noticed in his shop, hey, you've got this cool thing bound in some kind of snakes in. He said, yeah, that's Python. That, that's a pretty good one for, um, you know, the people who style themselves modern-day Aleister Crowley's. And I said, really, that's, python skin is a thing, huh, well, could we do that? And he's like, sure, if you're willing to pay for a python skin, it's a lot more than cow, right? <laughs> um, like, well, what else have you got? He said, well, I know somebody who did cobra skin, and I, you know, the top of my head just popped off, I said, cobra, can we get a cobra? Um and both the Cobra and the Python are available at the super top end they're basically entirely craftsman books where a single volume of the text is going to be hand-bound with some extra art plates and maybe those 11 knives pages tucked in so it's a it's very much a a one-off kinda book right there's gonna be five or ten of those in the world uh, bound in cobra skin or python skin, and I think they're awesome and <laughs> and really appropriate for this particular Kickstarter. But you know the pledge levels there start around five hundred and seventy bucks because what did I say? <laughs> cobra <laughs> skin isn't cheap. <laughs> um,
0: That's true, and, but you can yeah. also get a PDF for for less than twenty. So uh, yes, you get a PDF incredible. for
1: seventeen. So yeah, it's it's a deal. Uh, If you just want the content, we don't want to make it expensive. We want to make it really accessible. Uh, And make sure the word of all these various influential and highly organized groups, you know, spread (laughs) to the gaming public. Here's our brochure.
0: You're going to be responsible for the 2017 scare of... uh, (laughs) Of role-playing games. Yeah, you know (laughs) we we need
2: a clown cult now.
1: Yeah, we need a clown cult (laughs) to to really get traction there. I I thought about whether we were gonna get Pat Robertson's attention and be denounced from the pulpit for this. And I was like, you know, we've taken that crap forever. It's all such baloney that dnd is satanic or whatever it's like you know as long as we're gonna get blamed for it anyway we should have some really cool bad guys um, <laughs> and to point to and say yes these are the villains not the heroes um and you know have some fun with them absolutely
0: so. absolutely well um we're we're running short on our time here but before we go there's one other thing i want to talk to you about the uh Blood Vaults of Sister Alcava is a fifth edition adventure that uh, just dropped yesterday at the time of recording from cobalt press and uh it looks to be an awesome adventure for characters of uh fifth or sixth level um and it's by the one and only bill slavasek who uh if listeners don't know out there was uh running DD for a while um back in the oh, yeah. third edition days eberron uh came up under his tenure and uh he's done a a lot of other great things so this uh this uh, points to be another master-crafted adventure from another legend you have found, uh, Wolfgang. Talk to us a little bit about this adventure because it also sort of ties in to the demon-ness of it all.
1: Yes. Um, so we just talked about the Blood Sisters as a goal we're, we're still trying to fund. The Blood Vaults are, in fact, where the Blood Sisters hang out, including Sister Alcava. Uh, and it is set in one of these little vampire kingdoms in Midgard. But as it happens... The adventure would be in highly portable to other gothic raven-infested kingdoms, um, for fifth edition players who might be running into curses and mists and things like that. Yes, um, perhaps
0: where there are some lofts, one might yes, say. Yes, yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Vaults, lofts, they go together. Um, but it's also it's also an introduction to um to the Blood Sisters cult. So it seemed perfect for October. Bill Slavisek and I have known each other for many years, although these days he is working in the video games field out on the East Coast. He still he still loves RPGs and tabletop. And when I said, hey, Bill, would you, would you write a thing? Would you have any interest? And he said, sure, what the heck? I haven't done one in forever. Let's, you know, what do you want? And I said, well, there's these Blood Sisters. What do you think? And he went to town. Um, there's two new monsters in there. Uh, I don't know how many spoilers I want to reveal, but they're they're in keeping with the theme of the cult. Let's say that. Um, <laughs> a, and the setup is sort of the classic premise of, well, there's a village, and they've been paying their tithe to the cult in blood uh, for many years, right? They take a few people up to the blood vaults, they drain them a little, and then they send them stumbling back down into the village. That is the way of things. Except this year... Um, the sacrifices have gone up to the blood vaults and haven't come back. Mm. And the villagers are like, that's not the deal, right? That's not the way this works. Hey, you (laughs) adventurers, you know, you think you could do anything about this? Normally we wouldn't send you into the blood vaults, but on this occasion, we think it's your job. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? So it's, it's not a complicated adventure. It's sort of a rescue scenario with a whole lot of Gothic creepiness and new monsters. And it's just a blast. I'm going to run it this October. So, um, yeah,
0: that's excellent. Well, I, I think people should definitely check it out. Um, the tagline on, uh, on the Cobalt press website is a nightmare of blood. Uh, (laughs) so we're going uh, for
2: subtlety. (laughs)
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so before we go, uh, Let's find out where people can find you on the internet. And uh, Wolfgang, we will start with you.
1: Sure. Well, I'm on Twitter as Monkey King, but um, find out everything about Cobalt Press on Twitter at Cobalt Press. Uh, we're on Facebook, uh, and of course, CobaltPress.com is is our home away from home, where we post all the freebies and the blog entries and the previews and the announcements. So all of those places are good. The Cobalt Store is right off the Cobalt blog. So if you want to pick up Blood Vaults of Sister Alcaba, that's right there. Cobaltpress.com, whack KP Store, I believe. Um, and, yeah, that's the main places we hang out. We have a Google Plus forum as well, an account where we get a lot of questions that we, we answer. So uh, if you prefer the G Plus, that's, that's there as well.
0: Excellent, excellent. And uh, Jeff, where can people find you?
3: Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a hermit. Um, <laughs> I, I I don't do Twitter, um, but I do have a Facebook page. Uh, if you go to Facebook.com, uh, it's Jeff A. Lee. Uh, it is a private account, but I do do public posts uh, concerning my my writing and projects that I'm involved in that I like to promote. So you know, if people want to follow me there, they can see the things that I'm doing.
0: Excellent, excellent, and I will say you are less of a luddite than Tim Hitchcock, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who I think barely has an email address. Um, <laughs> and uh, and Jim, where can people find you? Well, I'm kind of a mercenary. I don't work uh, for myself
2: too much, but I can be found. I too, I've got an author page mm. on Facebook. It's uh, Jim Groves, game design and developer. And I'm also on Twitter. I don't use Twitter a lot, but um, every once in a while I'll have a bout of activity. And uh, my Twitter address is at inner Kane, and that's uh, Inner and Cain like
0: as yes, in C-A-I-N-E. Excellent, excellent. Well, we'll link all that information in the show notes as well as a link to this Kickstarter. Or if you go on Kickstarter and search for Demon Cults or for Cobalt Press, it will also come up that way. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today.
1: Thank you for having us, James. Thank you. Thank
0: you. Thank you. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is a steal. It is completely free. It is the Storm King's Thunder Nightstone Map Pack from Andre Higuti. Uh, Andre has created an amazing map of Nightstone from the first chapter of Storm King's Thunder. You should definitely check it out. Uh, Whether you're playing on a virtual tabletop or in person, this is a really, really great resource to have at your table. It is the Storm King's Thunder Nightstone map pack, and you can find it in the show notes for this episode over at thetomeshow.com. All right, everybody. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercaso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. Tons of free resources for your D&D 5E games over there. And check out my latest post, which is an interview with Shadow of the Demon Lord creator Rob Schwab. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you are listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.